And our reading is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." This has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let me pray. Father, would the words of, of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you? Um, Lord, would you speak to us through your word just as you've promised to do so? We know that if, if any effect comes from, from this time, uh, it, it's because your spirit has, has been at work. And so, Lord, we pray that would be the case. Uh, we thank you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I think it's possible to hear all of these issues that are facing the church in Colossae and, and feel right at the beginning a certain distance from them. You remember last week, we spent uh, kind of an in-depth time looking at the topic of circumcision. That was part of the false teaching that was surrounding this church. And then, of course, in our passage today, it's really the heart of, of Paul's telling us what this false teaching consisted of, where we have questions of food and, and drink and festivals and Sabbaths and asceticism, which is like kind of rigorous self-discipline. We have this worship of angels and visions. And so it's maybe understandable to think out of all of the issues that we face in 2022, all of the issues and anxieties that trouble us, um, these don't seem particularly threatening. And so I have to make the case that this text is actually really, really relevant for the church in every age, including ours. Now, let me tell you where I'm going to go with this. So first of all, we share a similar cultural situation. Okay, what I mean by that is you can think of the church as, as this outpost of the kingdom of God, and we are surrounded on all sides. And so you can think of, of the, the world, right? The general worldliness, the world and its desires, or the world and its values. Just think of any vice list in the New Testament, and that tells you what the world is. We are tempted to lust and greed and hatred and anger, right? It's all of the vices that are in the world that press in upon the church. That exists for us, of course, and that exists for the church in Colossae. But not only are they surrounded by kind of worldliness, so to speak, but they're also surrounded by what I'm going to call a spiritual smorgasbord. All right, years ago, Cassie and I, my wife, uh, we were in London, and we were, we were playing tourist, and it had been a long day of, of sightseeing and walking around, and, and we needed to get something for dinner. We didn't know where to go, and so we were kind of in a happening part of town, and we stopped by a sushi restaurant. 
And what got us into the sushi restaurant was the novelty of it, because it's about 15 years ago. The, the room was, was designed as a circle, all right? And then in front of your eating area was a conveyor belt. And, and the kitchen would send out dishes on the conveyor belt that would go around the whole restaurant. And then if something looked good, you would take it and, and you would add it to your tab. And the novelty totally worked. It got us in there, right? I don't remember how the meal was, but I remember the conveyor belt. Now, I think that's a wonderful visual picture of the spiritual smorgasbord that I'm talking about. It's not just the world and its kind of heinous vices that press in upon us. No, even in this increasingly secular age, we are still so incredibly spiritual as a people, with belief in angels so prevalent, belief in ghosts and the paranormal, belief in aliens. Uh, How many people in my life have been concerned about what zodiac sign I am? Did you know that less than 1% of Americans identify as Buddhists? Then why in the world can you walk into any home decor store and they are selling Buddha statues? Did you know there are more self-professed witches in the United States than Jehovah's Witnesses? That's the conveyor belt. That's the spiritual smorgasbord. So what's my point? The church is surrounded on all sides today just like it was back then. So that's the cultural situation. Now what happens when the church realizes its cultural situation? It builds up a resistance. But the resistance can be as bad as the virus. Think of an autoimmune disease. Your body can't tell the difference between the the foreign viral cells and your healthy body cells, and so your body starts to attack itself. That's Colossians. That's much of the New Testament. At the risk of historical simplification, maybe these are always the twin risks that the church has to navigate. We have worldly compromise on on the one hand, and then we have gospel compromise on the other. And the gospel compromise is the threat in Colossae. Paul is saying you are filled, you are full already right now. You don't need anything else in your Christian life than what you already received when the gospel was proclaimed to you and you believed it, right? So Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient and the rest of your Christian life is essentially, it's crucially growing and maturing in that reality that is already yours, And the danger or threat of the false teaching is that they said no. No, if you want to experience fullness, you need to add to Jesus because he's not enough. Well, how could they say that Jesus is not enough? Well, maybe they're asking questions like, have you seen how bad the world is? You need something more than Jesus. Have you seen how powerful the world, the flesh, and the devil are? You're going to need something different. Have you seen just how threatening my enemies are? I'm going to need something more than the gospel to face that. I'm going to need something flashier and more impressive than a crucified Savior. The gospel is good. It's even great. But can it stand up to the world and its problems? I think that's a word that still impacts the church today, right? Think about the attraction of the Jewish law. And you can tell there's some points of this false teaching that have to do with the Old Testament Jewish law. And so you have these dietary restrictions. And I don't think the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament had to do with sanitation, didn't have to do with health in any particular way. Uh, it, It set the people of Israel apart from the nations. That was the key point of the dietary restrictions. Circumcision includes that element. Sabbath observance includes that element. And so to lose those identity markers puts the people at risk of being absorbed 
absorbed into the broader culture. So you see the preciousness of maintaining those distinctions. So let me ask you this question. What are the identifying markers of the church? It's a hard question. I think Paul gives us the answer multiple times. And I think the identifying marker of the church is faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, but what if that doesn't feel like enough? That's the temptation, that's the danger, that's the pressing relevance of Colossians. The church in this day and age offers a conveyor belt of Jesus plus something to make sure that you experience fullness. And Paul counters this and says, no, if you are in Christ, you have Jesus right now, and by having Jesus, you have everything you need for life with God and growth in godliness. And so the rest of our time is going to unpack that idea. All right, and so what we're going to do, we're going to look through this, this crisis that's facing the church. I don't think it's quite exploded into a crisis. We'll call it the threat to the church, which is still a threat for us. And so Paul identifies the problem. He then sees that there's even a deeper problem than, than the first problem. And then we'll look at the better way forward. And hopefully I'll unpack what all of that means. All right, so what's the problem? Again, we've already talked a little bit about this background. We have these false teachers. They're offering fullness in practices and beliefs and duties and obligations on top of belief in Jesus. And so Paul addresses this issue of potential insecurity. Did you hear the insecurity of the questions I was posing, right? Is is the gospel strong enough to stand up to the world as it is? Take a look at verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Let no one Past judgment, well, no one disqualify. That language of disqualification is taken from the sporting world. It's like, don't let someone come into your midst and act like an umpire. The, the thing I find amazing about the game of baseball, more than any other sport, is like from its inception, there's always been this obsession with cheating. More than any other sport I can imagine. They doctor baseballs, they doctor bats. You have performance-enhancing drugs. The new one is pitchers. They can't have sticky substances on their fingers to grip the baseball. And so when the pitcher leaves the field, the umpire comes over and just feels the guy's hand, which looks kind of silly from my perspective. Well, don't let false teachers come into your midst and eject you from the game. Don't let them come into your midst and disqualify you And disqualify what you already have in Christ. Don't submit to their evaluations. Again, it's a spiritual smorgasbord. It's a conveyor belt of tools and ways to increase and achieve spiritual fullness. It's Jesus plus something else. And most of the somethings for the Colossian Christians were these Old Testament stipulations. Mixed maybe with local, regional, pagan flair as I would put it. So you have Jesus plus specifications of food and drink. Jesus plus calendar observations, right? You have the the annual feasts like Passover. You have the monthly new moon feasts, and then you have weekly Sabbaths. You have ascetic practices. So these harsh practices of compulsory fasting, uh, removing worldly comforts, and those are often associated with visions. You don't eat for a long time. Maybe you will have a spiritually induced vision. 
And all of these spiritual add-ons, they're, they're promising fullness and how we can deeply connect and experience God. If you can get all of these right, if you can get yourself on the path of spiritual rigor and discipline, then you can experience God. You can have spiritual fullness. And Paul says this makes no sense because the Old Testament practices you're talking about were always pointing to Jesus. He is the substance He is the substance. I mean, the Passover, he is the Passover lamb. All of the feasts, all of the festivals are are fulfilled in Jesus. The Sabbath is fulfilled in him because he ultimately rested on the seventh day when his body lay silent in a tomb. So why would you go to the shadow when the thing that the shadow looked to has come in Christ? We can also detect another kind of gospel compromise with this false humility I think it's in the idea of worship of angels. It could possibly be literally worshiping angels, but I doubt that actually was taking place. That's pretty extreme. I think what this really is, is worship through angels. Do you hear the false humility? How can I approach God and his greatness? I need to go through angels as intermediaries. The book of Hebrews says, what are you talking about? You just go straight to the throne of grace. Colossians puts it a different way. It says you are already in him. Of course you can go directly to him. And you can see this mistake throughout the church, can't you? I need to pray through Mary because she's a compassionate mother. I need to pray through the saints and the martyrs because because God has their ear already. And Colossians is saying, no, Christ is the North Star. And when he is the North Star, everything and everyone falls into place. And so the saints and the martyrs, man, they are, they are to be respected. We stand on their, their shoulders as giants. Talk about Mary, right? Isn't she the model Christian? She heard God's word and she believed it. She died to herself in service to her son who saved her. She's no one to be despised. She's a model, but she is not someone to pray through because Christ is the North Star. And so you see all of these patterns, all of these problems keep repeating themselves throughout history. And Paul is imploring the church, he's imploring us, you have already heard and you have received the one way that you can experience God and it's Jesus. In him the fullness of deity dwells. So the message is false, Christ is the substance and he is the north star. But the other problem is that the messengers are false. So look at verse 19. The problem is that they are not holding fast to the head. In other words, they have nothing to do with Christ. They're disconnected from the head, but you, because you are in Christ, you are nourished and knit together, you are alive, you are receiving nourishment and life from God. It is he who nourishes and sustains you. You are already in him. You are already home. Let me give you an illustration of this. I have a love-hate relationship with Ikea, the furniture store. The love relationship is, and this is just my opinion, it is a better Disneyland for the kids. It is freer and it is cheaper. And the kids love it. They love to play apartment. It's weird, but they do it. I love Ikea. I hate Ikea, though, because you have to build your own furniture, and who wants to do that? So let me give you this illustration of I think what Paul is saying here. Let's say that you are home and the delivery truck comes to your door with this beautiful bed. You got the nice bed at Ikea. And it has come to your door and it has already been built. And the delivery men, they take it to your room and they put it down and they leave. What, what are you left to do with your bed? You are, to, you are to lie in it. You are to enjoy it. You are to rest in it. And while you're resting in your bed that's already built, it's already in your room, 
Door knocks, and all of a sudden, up come these new delivery men with a 30-page instruction manual and a two-pound bag of hardware, and they're saying, what are you doing? You need to build the bed. And you're thinking, but the bed is already built. But they put some doubt in your mind that maybe you need to go check if the bed is actually built. Do you see that, how that correlates with Colossae. Paul is saying, you already have the bed. You are already in Christ. And in come these false teachers saying, no, you need to build. And he's saying, what are you going to build? It's already there. It's already yours. You have already arrived. That's what Paul is trying to convey. You won't find God. You won't find spiritual fullness or whatever else you want to call it. You won't find it elsewhere. At the heart of Paul's message is that these rules are pointless because we already have what is promised, the fullness of God in Christ. Anything that looks at Jesus alone and says that's not enough, it's false. It's the gravest error. And so the word for us is that anything that pulls us away from the sufficiency of Christ alone, a new teaching, a new experience, a new practice, whatever it may be, Jesus plus anything equals false. That's the problem, all right? That's the, that's the problem on its surface, but then Paul's gonna continue and he's gonna say, not only is that the problem, but your reaction, right? This autoimmune disorder in the church, it creates an even deeper problem and this is our second point. Take a look at verses 20 through 23. If, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right, so you have already in Christ, you've died to the elemental spirits. We talked about this last week. This is Paul's language for the way of the natural world apart from the grace of Christ. This is the ABCs of the old world. Anything that you, you look to in order to, to achieve your destiny or, or any kind of law-keeping apart from Christ. There are many manifestations of this, right? From karma even to the Old Testament law, as Paul makes clear in the book of Galatians. And here he says, you have died from the need to fulfill righteousness in yourself. You have died from the ability of law-keeping to save yourself. So why in the world would you submit to regulations that were offered as a new way to God? In verse 21, you have this parody of the regulations, right? Don't handle, don't, don't touch. Don't do this, don't do that. Now why are these rules? Why is this legalism a false solution? It's because they're not addressing the problem and they're in effect actually creating a deeper problem. Not only are these man-made regulations and spiritual offers, they're, they're not protecting you from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in fact, they're making it worse because they're driving you away from Christ and into yourself. Verse 23, you have the death blow to these commandments. They have an appearance of wisdom. It could be translated, they have a reputation of wisdom. It looks like it's spiritual. It looks like you are denying the flesh. But what does Paul say? You're not denying the flesh. You are indulging the flesh. They have no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. No self-made rules have value in bringing you closer to God. They look like they can change you, but they can't. It's just a facade. Whatever rules and regulations, these additions to Christ alone, they cannot change you, they cannot fix you, they cannot address the deepest part of your problem because what is your deepest problem? 
It is your heart. It is your heart. Only Jesus can fix that part of you. These rules, these guidelines, these these techniques, they overestimated their power. They misdiagnosed the problem. Remember, Paul is a follower of Jesus. I know that's an obvious point, but he is. And how does Jesus describe the problem? It's not the fruit. The problem is the tree. And the only reason you have the bad fruit is because the tree is bad. Jesus says the problem isn't the stuff out there coming into you. The problem fundamentally is what is inside of you coming out. And so these false solutions are like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's like having lung cancer and and rubbing Vicks uh, Vapor Rub all over your chest. You're saying, well, it's the right vicinity. That is not the solution that you need. You've misdiagnosed the problem. You need more than a topical treatment. You have to go deeper. You have to go to the heart. And these external regulations, they can't fix the heart. They don't go deep enough. They're childish, and childish isn't bad. If you have a three-year-old playing with an electrical outlet, what do you need to yell at them? Not because you're mad, but because you don't want them to handle and to touch. But the goal, of course, is not to shepherd the child's heart through that. It's it's for their safety. But our parenting can't stay there for the very reason that our goal is heart formation. It's character formation. If behavior modification flows from anywhere other than a changed heart, I think Paul would say it's of the flesh. And so again, not only are these false offers of spirituality not solving the actual problem that we have, they're making things worse. They're they're indulging your flesh. They stoke the flames of self-righteousness. Instead of a community defined by by grace with a message of, of a gospel salvation, this kind of false spirituality creates a community of self-indulgent righteousness with a message of judgment. And instead of developing a deeper reliance upon the Holy Spirit or a deeper, more abiding relationship with Jesus, Christ becomes an ornament. An ornament to my project, an ornament to my culture war, an ornament to my flesh. There has to be a better way. And the abiding value of this particular letter, of course, is that there is. There is a better way, and this is where we'll close. It's a good question, right, to read scripture and ask, what relevance does this have for my life? That's a great question, isn't it? What application does this have to my life, right? The majority of us, we're not tempted to worship angels. We're not tempted to asceticism. But I don't think the the, the spirit of the false teaching facing the Colossians has been eradicated. It just takes new forms, What can provide the fullness that we need, especially in light of of, of a godless culture, right? In a worldly culture, what can provide the fullness that we need? And we have a bigger problem because we're talking about this heart issue. And so what can provide the fullness that we need, especially in light of our sin and our struggles with sin, the struggles of the flesh? And we have 2,000 years of church history showing us plenty of examples of of this spirit of Jesus plus X, Y, and Z equals the superior life, the spiritual life, the full life. It can be silly examples, right? It could be Jesus plus the right diet. But it's not so silly when you look at John Harvey Kellogg arguing that cornflakes can help you fight lust. It sounds silly to us today, but that was bought into for a while. A few weeks ago, one big topic that blew up the Christian internet, I wish it actually blew up the Christian internet, it didn't, it survived. It was this, it was this article, and it was promoting uh, men having beards as a biblically faithful expression of manhood. 
I'm just trying to hide my double chin. I don't, I don't understand this, this biblic, biblically uh, a faithful manhood, but that's an example of, of Jesus plus something, right? Jesus plus spiritual gifts. Jesus plus Benedictine monk spirituality. Jesus plus this view of schooling your kids. If you want to be a super Christian, you would only pick this kind of school. Jesus plus this political expression or political party. Jesus plus this style of worship. Jesus plus this particular cultural expression of social justice. Jesus plus nationalism. And if you add anything to Jesus, you know what you lose, right? Jesus. You lose Jesus. And so instead of adding to Jesus, we want to ask, how do we live into and out of the fullness of Jesus? Because he alone saves us. He alone is the fullness of God. And of course, he alone changes us. And so the question maybe isn't, what must I do as I live my Christian life? But who must I be with? Let's take spiritual disciplines as an example. Spiritual disciplines like, like scripture reading or, or prayer or fellowship, right? They're all good things. They're all maturing things, but in themselves, they don't stop the flesh because who stops the flesh? It's Jesus at work by the Spirit. And so if you take up spiritual disciplines so that they might change you, the chances are you are indulging in the flesh. Now, I don't want you to hear me incorrectly. I don't want you to hear, so you're already full in Christ. Therefore, you can live any way you want. Do you guys hear the problem of saying that? If you say you can live any way you want, you are saying fullness is out there. And so I can receive Jesus and I can pursue fullness apart from Christ. Do you hear how that is self-defeating from the start? No, instead we say, well, why would I take up spiritual disciplines? It's to abide in the one in whom I have fullness. To read scripture because that's where Christ meets with me. That's where his word is, 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 is given to me. I, I fast Uh, not to gain favor with God, but to recognize that every second of every day is independence of him. I pray to spend time with him, and it's a discipline because I know my heart, and if I don't schedule it, it's not gonna happen. I give back to God with my offerings because that is such a clear example of one of the chief sins of all of humanity, that I can find my identity and comfort and success in what I have. And God says, no, it's who you are, and you belong to me. To pursue the means of grace, to come to church and and to pray with one another and to sing with one another and to hear God's word proclaimed over you, to take the supper, because this is the place Jesus has promised to meet his people. To observe the Christian Sabbath, right? You saw the word Sabbath, right? See, uh, Paul says the Sabbath is over, and yet here we are. You got some cranky Presbyterians insisting, no, we still have some kind of Sabbath. Well, what's the difference? It's, it's not that the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, uh, it's not this observance so that we may gain the fullness of God. It's saying this is the only place where fullness is had. It's with God. And so here's this day to slow down and rest and worship in the one who fills me. It's a protest to all of the false offers of fullness that are offered and indulged on the Lord's Day. You see, spiritual disciplines are good when they are thought of as enjoying and resting in that bed that was delivered to you. They are indulgent when they are the instructions and the hardware to start building. Stay tuned because the rest of the letter is an exploration of what growth in Christ looks like. 
and how this reality doesn't, doesn't sit where it doesn't say stagnant, but it presses like yeast. It rises into every element of our lives and relationships. But in the meantime, as we wrap up, in the meantime, we have to remember that we're connected to Jesus. That he took our human flesh into heaven so that we might be with him. That he was born of woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law uh, because that law could not offer us fullness in our current state. That we might receive adoption and his spirit. Uh, another way that Paul explains how Christ fills us. And as much of this letter will emphasize in the coming weeks from a number of different angles, it is his presence that is enough to change us. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that this word, which in, in many ways is so culturally contextualized for a different time and a different place and for a different people, uh, by the power of, of your, your spirit and your very heavenly wisdom, you would impress these truths into our hearts. Lord, any time that we have felt anxiety and fear, and we have not come to you, but we have run to other things or we have sought to, to supplement what we have in you. This word is, is so potent and powerful to speak to that reality. And so I pray that you would, uh, by your grace, confirm this word into our hearts. That you would help us, by the power of your spirit, to uh, leave this place settled in you, and yet unsettled in, in the growth that we have in ourselves, that we would cast ourselves on you, pursuing maturation and growth, seeing this reality, which we're, we're celebrating is already ours, yet seeing that reality pressed into every nook and cranny of our lives. In other words, the Christian life lived. So Lord, would you, by your grace, do this work among us? And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.